0: All right, well this uh, morning we started a sermon uh, entitled How to Prepare for Marriage or Are You Ready uh, for Marriage? And of course we are going through a series on Sunday mornings called Happily Ever After and we're learning about marriage and having children, rearing children, the Christian home, all those things. Uh, We started last week uh, with an introductory sermon on the subject of Uh, the institution of marriage, and then this morning we began with uh, the singles and with this idea of are you ready for marriage? And uh, because I had so much to go over, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it all in one sermon, so I uh, cut it up into two sections. We're going to deal with the second part of that sermon tonight, and like I said this morning, the marriage was, the the sermon was geared towards the singles on the subject of uh, are you ready for marriage, and it really is meant to help uh, young people make the right choice regarding marriage, aside from salvation, I think that who you choose to marry is the most important choice uh, aside from salvation it 's the second most important choice you 're going to make in your life and it 's extremely important it's you enter into a vow uh, into a union that is supposed to be till death do us part. so I want to help you be ready for that and Of course, we talked about this morning that the things we talked about this morning are geared towards single people but People that are already married can learn from it. And again, the purpose of the sermon is not for those of you that are married to say, well, I'm not, I don't have those things or I failed in those areas, so let me go get a divorce. No, if you're, there's areas that you have not. Uh, uh, succeeded in, then you need to start working on those with even more urgency because you are someone that's already married. And then I, I said as well that for parents and grandparents, these sermons are can help you guide your children and your grandchildren in choosing uh, a future spouse. Let me just real quickly, you're there in Numbers chapter 30, we're going to dig into the chapter here in a minute, but let me just real quickly review this morning's sermon. And I'm not going to re-preach this morning's sermon. If you are not here for the sermon this morning, I would encourage you to go on our website, veritybaptist.com or go to our YouTube channel, Verity Baptist Church, on YouTube, and you can find the sermon and listen to it. But this is the things we talked about. I gave you five thoughts this morning. I'm going to give you five thoughts tonight. This morning we talked about the the way to prepare for marriage is to prepare for marriage by getting your spiritual life in order, prepare for marriage by deciding upon who it is that you are looking for, prepare for marriage by getting your finances in order, prepare for marriage by protecting your purity, and prepare for marriage by working on yourself. Tonight, I'm going to give you... Five other things to consider in regards to uh, marriage, and I would encourage you to write these down and to take notes, especially if you're a young person or if you've got a young person in your home, you might want to write some of these things down. Point number one tonight, I'll give this to you and then we'll jump into Numbers chapter 30, is this, prepare for marriage by asking the parents for permission and giving them veto power. Prepare for marriage, and this is for single young people that are entering into that stage of dating and all of those things. One of the best things that you could do, probably the best thing you could do to prepare for marriage, is by asking your parents for permission and by giving your parents veto power. You say, What do you mean by that? Well, let me just kind of illustrate this for you or, or explain this to you from the Word of God. First of all, let's talk about asking parents for permission. I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches, that before a young man begins to date a uh, young lady, he should ask the father for permission to begin that relationship. You say, well, in in, in our society today, you would say, that's kind of a big step. I mean, dating is not that big of a deal. But remember that the purpose of dating is marriage. The purpose you would date someone is to marry them so if you are already someone that's not marriage material, then you don't need to begin dating. And one way that you can protect, that we can protect our children, is by asking the parents for permission to uh, begin that process of, Uh, dating, and uh, even of marriage. I think that uh, there should be a permission asked to begin to date, and then once that season has gone through, and once they've dated and maybe decided that this is the person they'd like to marry, there should be an additional permission asked for marriage. You say, where do you find that in the Bible? Well, Numbers chapter 30, if you're there, look down at verse number three. Numbers 30 and verse three, the Bible says this, if a woman... Also, vow a vow unto the Lord. Isn't that what you do at the marriage altar? You make vows to each other. You make, we talked about this last week, you make vows to the Lord about each other. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth. So I want you to notice, this is here in verse 3, we're given an example of a young lady. She's not married. She's living in her father's house. She's in her youth. What does that mean? That means she's under the authority of her father. She's living under the roof of her father and the, uh, uh, living in the authority of her father. Notice verse 4. And her father hear her vow and her bond wherewith she had bound her soul and her father shall hold his peace at her. What does that mean? That means she makes a vow. And this is not specifically talking about marriage. This is talking about any vow. A young lady makes a vow, makes a decision. She says, I'm going to do this. And her father hears her and he, the Bible says, holds his peace at her. That means her dad hears the vow and, uh, and, and doesn't say anything. Doesn't uh, make an objection to it. Notice, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. Notice verse 5. But if her father, notice this word, Disallow. See that word, disallow. If her father disallow her in that de- in the day that he heareth not any of her vows or her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed her. So here it says in verse 5 that if her father disallow her, what does that mean? Her dad hears the vow and does not allow it. That's what disallow means. He does not allow in the day that he heareth not any of her vows or uh, of her bonds, wherewith she has bound her soul, shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her, because her father disallowed her, uh, notice verse number six, and if she had at all in a husband. I want you, I want you to understand this, because this is a concept, hopefully it's, not, hopefully it's not a concept that is foreign to you, Verity Baptist Church member, if you've been paying attention Uh, during the preaching for the time that you've been here, but this is definitely a concept that is foreign in American society today. The Bible teaches that the husband and the father is the head of the home. We're going to preach about that at another time uh, uh, in regards to marriage. But let me tell you something. Not only is the husband the head of the wife, the father is the head of his children. And the Bible says that when a daughter is living under the authority uh, in, in her house before she's married, she is to live under the authority of her uh, father. And even when she makes a vow, her father can disallow that vow. Her father can say, she can make some decisions, say, I'm going to do this. And her father says, no, you're not. And God says that that authority falls on the father. He can disallow it, and the Lord will go along with that. The Lord will forgive it. And look, I realize you you might think, you know, I've never heard this before. This is weird. This is what everybody used to believe. It's, I mean, in our country, when we actually used to uh, give honor to the Word of God, have you ever wondered why at a marriage ceremony, a, a, a young lady walks down the aisle, being uh, uh, led down the aisle by her father, and the question is asked, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And, and the father responds, her, her mother and I. Why is that permission being asked? Here's why. Because that young girl is about to enter into some vows. And her father actually has the biblical authority to disallow it, to say no. I mean, she could get up here and say, I love you, and till death do us part, I do. And dad could walk in the back door and say, no, you don't. Say, Pastor, what would you do? I would say, no, you don't. No, you do not. We're not signing the contract. We're not, we're not legitimizing this thing. Why? Because the Bible teaches that the father is the authority over the daughter. The father is the authority over everybody. But here in this context, it's about referring to a daughter. Notice verse 6. Here we have a different example. And if she had at all a husband. So now we're transitioning. Notice that uh, once she is married, there is a succession of authority. A young lady is under the authority of her father while she's living in his house, but when she gets married, now she's under the authority of her husband. Notice verse 6. And if she had at all a husband, when she vowed or uttered out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it and held his peace at her. Notice it's the exact same situation. Her husband heard the vow and does not say anything about it. In the day that he heard it, then her vow shall stand, her bonds wherewith she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband disallow her on the day that he heard it, he hears it, doesn't allow it, then he shall make her vows which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. Notice, but every vow... Here's another example. So notice, young ladies living at home under the authority of her dad... He has the authority to disallow anything. Disallow any vow. She gets married. She's living at home under the authority of her husband. He has the authority to disallow anything. Here's another example, verse 9. But every vow of a widow. So here we have a, a widow is someone that's gotten married. She left the authority of her father. She submitted herself under the authority of her husband. But her husband died. Notice, but every vow of a widow and of her that is divorced. Here we have another situation where uh, a lady got divorced, so she's no longer the authority of her husband, wherewith they have bound their souls shall stand against her. I want you to notice that where there's not a husband, where there's not a father, then when she makes a vow, hey, she can't get out of that. The Bible says, wherewith they have bound their souls shall stand against her. But where there is a husband, where there is a father that man has the authority to allow or disallow their daughter or their wife to enter into these vows or to enter into these uh, covenants. Look at verse 16, Numbers chapter 30, verse 16. Now these are the statutes with the Lord commanded Moses, notice, between a man and his wife, between the father and his daughter, being yet in her youth in her father's house. So you say, why do you, why, why do you have to ask permission? Well, here's why you have to ask permission. Because dad is the one who gets the final say whether or not she gets married, period. Amen. So if dad doesn't want you to marry his daughter, he can say no. And biblically, spiritually, the answer is no. And I realize that today people will ignore that. But let me tell you something. At Verity Baptist Church, we will not ignore that. Amen. We will always side with the spiritual authority. And... And even before you get there, you say, well, we don't want to get married. We just want to start dating. And the dad looks at you, and he's like, you don't even have a job. The answer is no. Then you know what? The answer is no. So what we believe is that uh, you should, in order to protect your children and you young people, in order to protect yourselves, you should begin by asking permission of your parents for dating and here's what i think i think that a young man should talk to his own dad before he talks before he goes and talks to anybody else's dad he needs to go home and talk to his own dad Amen. and once he's gotten counsel from his father once his father has given him permission to uh and to go and and, and and have those conversations then that young man should ask the girl's father for permission to date now listen to me permission to date is not permission to marry Permission to date is permission to get to know somebody better. And, you know, you better believe that uh, when some punk, I've got four beautiful daughters. And they're going to be beautiful daughters till they're 30 in my house. (laughs) I'm just kidding, of course. But, um, you know, you you better believe that they want to get to know my daughter. They're going to get to know me. I want to know who this guy is. The young man should ask the girl's father permission to date his daughter. And then the young man should ask the girl's father permission to marry his daughter. Because the Bible says that the father has the ultimate decision to allow and to disallow. So you should ask for permission. But let me just say this as well. Go to Exodus. You're there in Numbers. Keep your place in Numbers because we're going to come back to it. But go backwards from Numbers. past Leviticus, into Exodus, not only should permission be asked, but also the, the parents should be given veto power. Now, we saw Numbers chapter 30, and that passage itself teaches that that has veto power, because he can say, no, I disallow it, and, and that's veto, it's, it's done. But let me just give you another example of that, Exodus 22. Keep your place in Numbers, because we're going to come back to it, and, and go to Exodus 22, look at Verse 16. And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed, Exodus 22, look at verse 16. Here we have a a negative example where a guy entices a maid. A maid is a virgin, a virgin young lady. She's not betrothed. She's not engaged. She's not promised to anybody. And he lied with her. The Bible says he shall surely endow her to be his wife. That if a, if a young man commits fornication with a young lady, he should marry her. Verse 17, however, it's still at the discretion of the father. And if her father, notice, utterly refused to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. See, in the Bible, the Bible teaches that dad has ultimate control. And that, and, and that if dad decided, you know what, You're, you took my daughter's virginity, but I'm, I'm still not going to allow you to marry her, then he was to pay according to the dowry of virgins. But I want you to notice there that the father had the ability and the right, it says there in verse 17, if her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he can refuse, he can say no, he can uh, uh, put uh, have the veto power. You say, well, why is it that God does this? Why does God give a uh, 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 father... And, of course, a mother and father would obviously be working together and, and be in agreement on these things. But why does he give the parents veto power? Here's why. Because, look, and you young people, please hear me out. And, and if you could understand this, I, I think it would, it would save you a lot of heartache in life. Because I feel like children understand this. Young kids understand this. And, they get, and then they get to that age You know that age where they they start thinking they know everything, and they know more than everyone, and they, you know, and unfortunately that age starts somewhere around 11 and 12, and it goes on to like 24 or something, I don't know, where they think they're smarter than everybody, they got it all figured out. I mean, it's really annoying. Sometimes you're talking to these young people, and you're just looking at them, and I'm just thinking to myself, and of course I never say this because I'm a godly, uh, nice pastor, but I think to myself, you are such a stinking idiot, (laughs) I mean, you are just so stinking full of yourself. You're such a moron. You're going to wake up one day and realize you're a moron. Right. And I don't say that, but I text it to them and <laughs> t- tell them to not open it till 10 years from now. Let me help you out with someone, something. Young people. There is no one in this world. There is no one in this world who has more of your best interest at heart than your mom and dad. Amen. Amen. I, know, I know you don't think that. I know you think they're just dumb and old and mean and old-fashioned. Let me tell you something. The lady that birthed you, the one that fed you, and clothed you, the, the man that provided for you, the one that, the lady that stayed up with you uh, when you were sick at night, not feeling well, uh, those parents that God gave you, there is literally nobody in this world, not your friends, not your little girlfriend, not your little boyfriend, there's nobody in this world that cares more about you than that mom and dad. And you'd be wise to listen to them. Amen. There's no one in this world that cares more about you than your mother and your father. And for this reason, you ought to willingly give your parents veto power. Now, they have it biblically, whether you like it or not. But, of course, we live in a society that doesn't follow the Word of God and doesn't believe in the Word of God. You might say, well, I'm 18 years old and I can legally do whatever I want. You would be wise to submit yourself to the authority of your parents and give them veto power. You'd be wise before you ever start dating to talk to your mom and talk to your dad and say, Mom, Dad, I, I, I want to submit myself under your authority and I, and I will anyone you say no to, I will follow. I will follow you on that. Because your parents have your best interest in mind, period. Amen. I told you this morning that I would give you some excerpts from this book by John R. Rice called The Home. Here's what he said on this matter. He said, this prerogative... And duty of fathers and mothers to watch over their daughters' happiness is recognized by the best societies everywhere. Keep in mind, this book was written back in like the 1930s and 40s. He says, in some cases, engagements ought to be broken at the earnest entreaty of the father and the mother of the girl. It is the parent's responsibility to make sure that they are marrying their kids off to the right person. It is the parent's responsibility to make sure that their children themselves are the right person and ready to get married. And it is the parent's responsibility to stand up and say no when a leader needs to stand up and say no. Now, let me just say this as well, because over the years, people have reached out to me as a pastor. We've had young people, of course, date. People from other churches or whatever, and over the years, I've had pastors and 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 parents call and ask for references, you know, about a certain individual, about a certain young lady or a certain young man. And of course, we're always happy to give those references. We never lie, uh, but we we always give give the references, and and we and and praise the Lord up to this point. I don't. I've never uh, really had. Anything terrible to say? I mean, there's been some situations where it's like, well, they don't actually come to this church, you know. But um, other than that, um, you know, the Lord has allowed us. But this is something that I always tell people when when they call me for a reference, I'll I'll, 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 I'll tell them, look, they're they're faithful to church, they're this or that, all these things. You know, I'll be honest about what, whatever they serve in this area, they serve in that area. But I always give this disclaimer. I say, look, people tend to be on their best behavior in front of the pastor and the pastor's wife. So listen, Dad. It's your responsibility to do your due diligence, you know, because I I don't want your, you know, your son married some, I I, I won't even use a word. (laughs) Your daughter married some loser. Well, Pastor Jimenez said, no, 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 dad, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to make sure that your daughter's marrying a good guy, that your son is marrying a good young lady. And look, people think I'm joking, and my kids are young, and, and I get it. I'm I'm not living in those situations, but I'm just telling you this. If it were me, I'd be hiring investigators. People think I'm joking. I and I don't. I mean, I'm not joking. I'd be googling names. I'd be uh, I'd be calling references. I'd be asking for W twos and bank statements. I have a good job, you can support my daughter. I have a good job, support. okay, let me see your bank statement. What are all these non-sufficient funds? What are all these $5 NSF, you know, charges, you're being charged here? You say, Pastor, I'm not going to take it that far. Look, I get it, I'm Pastor Jimenez, and you know, I'm short, but I'm scary, I don't know. You, you don't have to take it that far. Here's what I'm telling you, though, it's your responsibility, It's your responsibility to make sure that your kids aren't being married off to some psychopath. So parents should be asked for permission, and they should be given veto power. And I get it. I'm a pastor. I get to preach these things, so just the fact that I spend years preaching these things hopefully will scare some guys into not even asking. Um, But by the way, you, you, you parents should get references from the pastor, from the pastor's wife. But realize that it's your... Uh, responsibility. Now, while we're on this subject, let me just talk about this. Let's talk about the treatment of parents. When I was dating my wife, one of the advice, the advice that I received from my dad, my mom and dad are here tonight, you can ask them. What, I think this was probably some of the best advice that my dad ever gave me in regards to dating. He, he said, son, you need to pay attention to how, and he wasn't specifically talking about my wife specifically, just any any girl in general that any young man dates, says you you need to pay attention to how she treats her parents. And, And he said specifically her father. Because we just saw here in Numbers chapter 30 that a young lady's authority is her father. But when she gets married, that authority goes from her father to her husband. And he said, look, Pay attention to how she treats her parents, specifically her father, because however she treats her father, that's how she's going to treat you someday. Right. She talked back to dad, she's going to talk back to you. She rolls her eyes at dad, she's going to roll her eyes at you. It doesn't happen immediately, but just mark my words. You got to pay attention to how the person you're interested in treats their spiritual authority Because when you, young man, become her spiritual authority, the way, you know, she's always talking, uh, uh, saying negative things about her mom and dad, she's going to say negative things about you. So he's thinking her parents are idiots, she's going to think you're an idiot. In fact, you are an idiot for even listening to it. How they treat their parents is very important for you to consider. Not only that, but you should consider how they treat not only their own parents, you got to consider how they treat their whole family. Amen. How do they treat their siblings? How do they treat their grandparents? Hey, how do they treat your parents? Here's a excerpt from The Home by John R. Rice. He says, Among honorable people of high ideals, it has always been understood that every man owes a tremendous debt to the parents of the girl he marries. The very character of the young lady so dear to him was built more largely by her father and mother than by anybody else in the world. He is an ingrate who would take a daughter from her father and mother without decent regard for their feelings and happiness. Every man should have a lifelong gratitude and devotion to the father and mother of the woman that reared and educated uh, his wife at such a cost to give her away to him. I'm thankful that over the last 11 years of ministry, we've had, look, because of sin, we've had some difficult situations. I, I said last week that I performed four weddings in four months. I was actually wrong about that. I would actually performed five weddings in five months. You start doing so many weddings, you just, just try to forget them. Over the last 11 years, I've done, I don't know, 14, 15 weddings. And we've had some difficult situations. I mean, we've had situations where uh, we've got people that are saved, that are coming from homes and uh, uh, where, where where mom and dad maybe aren't saved or um, aren't uh, biblically minded and those things. And we've had uh, situations where a, a lot of uh, advice has to be given and counsel has to be given has to how to deal with that situation and, 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 and how to get permission and how to approach that. And I'm thankful that we've had young people that have came to their pastor and said, pastor, here's the situation. What do you think I should do? And I've counseled them or my wife has counseled Them And they followed our counsel. And I'm thankful that even in the hardest, most difficult situations we've always had up to this point, we've always had a mom and dad, a spiritual authority present who has been there to say, yes, we give her away. Yes, we, we, uh, we, we give away. And I realize that there may come a time when that is not possible, and I get that. I'm just thankful that up to this point, it's always been possible. It's taken a lot of work sometimes. It's taken a lot of counsel and a lot of prayer and a lot of uh, attempts and trying on the sides of some of these young people and praise the, uh, praise the Lord for it. But I'm thankful that they have taken the time to try to honor their parents because it is an ingrate who does not respect and honor the parents of the person that they're going to marry. It is a wrong, it is a shame. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. God thinks so highly of honoring parents, saved or unsaved, that he gives a promise that says, I'll give you a long life if you'll honor your parents. So I think that One of the best things you could do to prepare yourself for marriage is to ask for permission and to give them veto power and to respect them enough to trust them. And especially, specifically, when you're talking about parents that are in the faith, that are believers, go to Proverbs chapter 4. Keep your place in in Numbers and go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Obviously, there are times and situations where maybe a dad has passed away or something like that and, and, and it's, that's not possible. That's not what I'm talking about. But you should always try to honor your spiritual authority. Proverbs chapter 4. I said, number one, you ought to prepare for marriage by asking parents for permission and giving them veto power. Number two, you ought to prepare for marriage by not being blinded by, quote-unquote, falling in love. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, I want you to see it. The Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The word keep means to guard, to protect. God says, keep your heart, guard your heart. Young people, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. When you begin to go down this road of dating, we understand that the purpose of dating is marriage. And hopefully that has been uh, passed through and there's been uh, uh, some permission asked of your parents. But even if your parents were asked permission and the answer was yes, and you were given some time to get to know each other, realize that that's what that is. That dating time is not you're already married. It is a time for you to figure out, is this the person I want to spend the rest of my life with? Is this the person that I want to marry for the rest of my life? And here's what I often see with young people is that they get blinded by love. And, you know, they've known this guy for five minutes and they're like, I'm in love. No, you're not. You're in lust or you're infatuated. You can call it whatever you want, but it's not love. See, the world, Hollywood, and, and, and the media industry, they act like love is something you can't control. It just comes upon you and you're in love. That's a lie. That's not true. The Bible teaches that love is a choice. Amen. You choose to love. By the way, that's why these same people that, well, I just fell in love. And then they fell out of love and they want to get a divorce. No, you choose to love. And you choose to continue to love. And what I'm telling you is this. I'm telling you, as a dating young person, you should choose to not fall in love. You say, what? Yeah. Choose to not fall in love. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Choose to not fall in love until you have determined that this is the person that you should love. Once you've determined this is a young lady of character and morals and integrity, this is a young man that loves the Lord and is spiritually separated, once you've decided this is someone that is safe to love, then allow yourself to love. But until then, choose to not fall in love. You say, why? Here's why. Because falling in love will often blind you to all of the red flags. I mean, you see, all the red flags are all there. All the problems and issues, they're all there, but you don't see them because you're blinded by love. This is why I think to myself, idiots. Besides, most of the time, what people think is love is not love. It's just an infatuation. It's just lust. Look, the purpose of dating is not to look over all the red flags. It's to figure out, where are the red flags? What are the problems here? To go into this thing uh, uh, with a conscience and, and, and with intellect and with counsel. Your job is not to, oh, I'm in love, so going to look over all their issues. No, no, no. If you're there, you're already wrong. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Uh, 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 of life. Don't, don't choose and decide, I'm not going to fall in love with this guy. I'm not going to fall in love with this gal until I've already uh, determined, I've already made sure that they're a person that is safe and worthy of love. Amen. Don't just get blinded by so called love where you start looking over all the red flags. So let me let you on a little secret. And I, look, I get it. I preach these things and people don't like it, people get offended. And, you know, what's new? I don't know what to tell you. Send an email. Brother Oliver will read it. <laughs> He'll respond to it for me. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't like that sermon either. <laughs> <laughs> let me let you in know a little secret. When you're dating, you are seeing the best version of that person you're ever going to see. Amen. I don't mean, I don't, honestly, I don't mean that in a wrong way. I'm just telling you the truth. It's all downhill from there. So if you're just like, if you're dating and you've got all these major red flags and you're like, this guy's like a psychopath, but I'm in love. (laughs) I'm here to tell you something. That's the best it's going to be. Savor it, enjoy it, because it's going to get worse from there. You are literally seeing the best. They are the nicest they're going to be. They are the thinnest they're going to be. They are the most well put together they're going to be. Don't marry some guy. Oh, no, I know I'm broke and and jobless right now, but as soon as I get married, I'm going to start making money. No, he's not. As soon as we get married, I'm going to lose weight. No, she's not. As soon as we get married, I'm going to get my, you know, uh, 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 drinking problem under control. No, they're not. You're seeing the best version of them. Obviously, God can do a work and God can help them and you drag them to a church like this and I'll preach at them and try to help them out. But you know what? What the best thing would be for you to just not be an idiot about it. Forget about all this. I'm in love garbage. You're not in love. You don't even know what that means. Love is a choice you make. Love is a choice you make every day when you decide and say, hey, I'm going to, by the grace of God, love this wife or love this husband and love these children, and I'm going to commit to them. You even understand. Most people think they, they watch movies and they think that's love. That's not love. Right, right. Get that garbage out of your head. Open your eyes and realize he's a pathological liar. Maybe I shouldn't marry him. Maybe dad's right. Maybe I'm an 18-year-old idiot. And I should listen to somebody who's lived life a little longer. So number one, prepare for marriage by asking parents for permission and giving them veto power. Number two, prepare for marriage by not being blinded by falling in love. Number three, go to 3 John in the the New Testament. It's right at the end. If you have the book of Revelation, you get the book of Revelation, you go backwards. You have Jude, and then you have the one-chapter book of 3 John 3rd John, verse 2. Prepare for marriage by asking parents for permission and giving them veto power. Prepare for marriage by not being blinded, by falling in love. Prepare for marriage by getting your health in order. 3rd John 1, 2. The Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. Here's what John R. Rice said in the home. He said, A normal, godly marriage means that two people take solemn vows for a lifetime of partnership. Each has certain duties. I think that under ordinary circumstances, no man should marry who is not well enough to make a living. I think that under normal circumstances, no woman should marry who is not able to bear children and keep her home and be a comfort and a blessing to her husband instead of a constant burden. You ought to prepare for marriage by getting your health in order. You ought to prepare for marriage by not being uh, blinded, by falling in love. You ought to prepare for marriage by asking parents for permission and giving them veto power. Go to Romans chapter 8. There, in, If you start at Matthew, you have Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 8. I'm give you a fourth one. You ought to prepare for marriage by being mature enough to enter into and end a relationship. Please understand something. Breakups are part of the game. That's the whole point. You're dating to figure out, do I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? And that means that sometimes you may have to break up or sometimes dad may need to break you up. And if you're going to prepare for marriage, you need to be mature enough to enter into and end relationships and realize that it's not the end of the world. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says this, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let me tell you something. Everything. You say, well, I started dating that guy. I started dating that girl, and it didn't work out well. Listen, one of the most frustrating things, as I uh, uh, live in ministry and as I talk to other pastors, one of the most frustrating things about young people starting to date is that their breakups have to result in some church split. It's like, you guys dated for like three days, and you broke up, and now like you have to move and leave or whatever. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Look, you ought to just realize that all things work together for good. Okay, you started dating her. Okay, you started dating him. Okay, it didn't work out. You know what? All things work together for good. God can teach you something out of it. You can move on and still be a good Christian. Determined to be a mature Christian if you experience a breakup and determined to keep a good attitude and keep a good spirit. And if you can't, then you're not ready to date. If you can't, Break off a relationship without making half the church your enemy. You're not ready to date. Realize that breakups can happen. And if you're not okay with that, then you're just, you're just not ready. You just need to mature a little bit. So prepare for marriage by being mature enough to enter into and end relationships. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. If you kept your place in Proverbs, right after Proverbs, you have Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I said, number one, prepare for marriage by asking parents for permission and giving them veto power. Number two, prepare for marriage by not being blinded, by falling in love. Number three, prepare for marriage by getting your health in order. Number four, prepare for marriage by being mature enough to enter into and end relationships. Here's number five. Prepare for marriage by taking your time. Amen. Prepare, your, pre, prepare for marriage by taking your time. You won't regret it. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, look at verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Amen. And the, notice this. The patient in spirit is better. That's not the end of the sentence. It says the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. But let me tell you something. You could finish it there. I understand the word of God doesn't end there. And it's still a true statement. The patient in spirit is better. You're there in Ecclesiastes 7. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. When it comes to marriage, you ought not rush into anything. It's the most important decision of your life, aside from salvation. You ought to take your time. Take your time. You won't regret it. Here's what John R. R.I. said. He said, No one should be in a hurry to marry. Hasty marriages are always dangerous. What we advise, what we advise young people is that they should be with someone at least all four seasons of the year. I like to word it that way. All four seasons of the year. I started telling young people this. You should be with someone all four seasons of the year. They took it to, you know, at 365 days, we need to get married. That's not what I said. I mean, that's fine, but just, no, that's not what I said. What I'm saying is, take your time. And let me just, just, let me help you out. And some of you young people, if you're not mature enough to get this, I get that. Hopefully your parents will get this. The person who's being pushy, the person who's trying to rush things, is usually the one with the most to gain and the least to lose. The person rushing things maybe is probably the one that's going to bring all the baggage into the relationship. So slow things down. Be together for at least all four seasons. You say, what does that mean? Here's what I mean. I mean summer, fall, winter, spring. Be together. I mean, we have these cultures in these conservative-type churches where you know, a guy and a girl meet at some red-hot preaching conference, and they're, you know, they meet in the summer, and, and, and they're married by the end of the year. I don't recommend that. We don't recommend that. You know, it, it, be with someone all four seasons. Get to see them in all four seasons of the year. That's all I'm saying. I mean, look, you could potentially meet someone. A young person could meet someone in the fall. You know, they could meet someone in the fall, marry them in the spring, and get to the summer and realize that they have horrendous PO. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta live with them through the summer. I mean, you might meet someone in the summer, marry them in the fall, and find out at Christmas time that they're a cheapskate. (laughs) I'm just saying, before you commit your life to someone, why don't you go through all four seasons? Why don't you go through all the holidays? Why don't you see if they'll remember your birthday? Why don't you see if they'll get drunk on St. Patrick's Day? I don't know, just why don't you see them for a year? Be with someone at least all four seasons. Take your time. Take your time. Amen. Amen. Different times of the year bring out different qualities in someone. By the way, it's easy to fake something for four weeks. It's more difficult to fake it for four seasons. Right. Here's what John R.I. said. He said, young people should not become engaged until they have known each other well, for long months, or better yet, years, then they should not marry for several months at the very least. Here's all I'm telling you. People will come into my office over the last 11 years. Couples will come into my office. Couples, ladies will ask to meet with my wife. This has happened more times than I'd like to tell you about. And they'll say these words, we regret going so fast. I regret getting married so fast. I mean, I've had so many people say that to me. Even, even I am not people that are married here. I'm just people that have been married for a long time. They come into the office and say, we just got married too fast. We just got married too fast. You know, over the last 11 years, I've had more people say to me, we got married too fast. We made the decision too fast. Do you know what I've never had? I've never one time, not one time, have I had a couple who's happily married in the Lord. Just say, Pastor, we, we got to meet with you. I got to talk to you, Pastor. When you got some time, can we meet? And 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 I say, sure. And I make an appointment, and we uh, and we meet at my office. And they come in, husband and wife. They come in, and they're married, and they're happy, and they're joyful. And they say, Pastor, let me tell you something. This is the greatest marriage. We, I mean, this is a great marriage. We're so happy in the Lord. And I got to tell you something. We so regret waiting. No one ever says that. I regret waiting a year. I wish I would have gotten married, you know, just in three days. Look, when when you're 30 years old and 40 years old, a year when you're 18 seems like nothing. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Nobody regrets waiting. Almost everyone regrets rushing. So don't be an idiot. So take your time. You won't regret it. Take your time. What's it going to hurt? I realize when you're 18 and 19 and 20 years old, a few months and a year seems like a lifetime. When you've got the most time, time seems like a lifetime. (laughs) Take your time. Here's what I tell young people. If he's the will of God for your life, if she's the will of God for your life right now, she'll be the will of God for your life a year from now. You'll be the will of God for your life a year from now. Take your time. It's the biggest decision of your life. Go to Numbers chapter 1 if you would. Numbers chapter 1. We tell young people, I'm telling you right now, here's your advice, your pastoral advice. Be with someone at least all four seasons of the year. See how they smell in the summer and see how much money they spend on you in Christmas. That's all I'm saying. See if they remember Valentine's Day. Numbers chapter one. Here's the second piece of advice that my wife and I give young people and it's this. Be 20 years old at least when you marry. Be at least 20 years old when you get married. Numbers chapter one and verse three, the Bible says this from 20 years old and upward. All that are able to go forth to war in Israel, thou and Aaron shall number them by their armies. I'm showing this verse to you to just show you that in the Bible you are not considered an adult until you are 20 years old. While the law says that you're 18, look, I get that, I understand that. I'm just telling you what the, the Bible. The Bible does not consider you an adult while you still have the word teen in your age. I'm 18. Yeah, you're 18. I'm 19. You're 19. I'm just telling you, you look. You get mad at God. I'm just telling you, you say, what does God consider an adult? A 20-year-old. So we advise that young people be 20 years old when they get married. Now, does everybody follow that? No. I'm just telling you what we advise. My wife and I, we do not recommend that anyone get married before they're 20 years old. Now, let me just let, me just let you in on a little secret, Okay. When my wife and I got married, we were 18 years old. I, I got married literally like, like a few weeks after I graduated high school. People know that about us, or they hear that, and they think, oh, well, Pastor Madison got married when he was 18, and Mr. A. got married when 18. You know, so we are getting married when we 18. Let, let me just tell you something. It worked out for me. I'm not going to say for us. It worked out for us. Right, honey? It worked out for us. But that doesn't mean it works out for everybody. And, and look, can I just be, let me just be honest with you. When we got married at 18 years old, we were in a church system that advised, and this is wrong. The Bible teaches against this, and we didn't know it at the time, but we learned it later on in life. When we got married at 18 years old, we lived in a system that advised that when you first get married, you go on birth control for the first two years of your life, of your marriage, and that you not have children for the first two years due to birth control. So when we were 18 years old, and they're saying like, well, you're not supposed to have kids for the first two years anyway. You're going to be 20 before you start having kids. Go ahead and get married. Let me just tell you something. That is not the IFP movement. We're against birth control. We tell young people, hey, when you get married, you're going to consummate the marriage, and you're going to start having babies. I'm just here to tell you something. If we could have, if we would have been in the new IFB movement and we would have known that we could potentially be having children while we're children, we wouldn't have got married at 18. Because we teach against birth control and we tell young people that once they get married, they should start having children. We also advise them that they be 20 years old before they start getting married and having children. Now, look. We did it, we're 18. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I was going to say, I'm sorry about that. I'm not sorry about that. I don't owe you anything. <laughs> you need to be mature enough to realize just because people do something doesn't make it right. And just, well, Pastor Jimenez did it. Well, Pastor Jimenez has done a lot of things that you shouldn't do. <laughs> but if you want the 36-year-old Pastor Jimenez's advice, who spent a lot of time dealing with couples, here's my advice, don't get married till you're 20. John R. Rice said this, children in their teens usually do not know enough to select a satisfactory mate for life. So just take your time. Just wait. You won't regret it. Here's what I know. You'll never regret waiting. And here's what I know. There's a high chance that you'll regret rushing. So don't do it. Don't do it. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. This morning, I gave you five thoughts in regards to preparing for marriage. Tonight, I gave you another five. Here they are, r- quick review. Number one, prepare for marriage by asking parents for permission and giving them veto power. Number two, prepare for marriage by not being blinded, by falling in love. If you use those terms, you should, don't even date, just, just go home and read your Bible. Number three, you got to prepare for marriage by getting your health in order. You, you fall in a ditch, you, you know that? Don't fall in love. Number four, you got to prepare for marriage by, uh, number three, getting your health in order. Number four, prepare for marriage by being mature enough to enter into and end relationships. Number five, you got to prepare for marriage by taking your time, taking your time, taking your time. You won't regret it. Proverbs 16 and verse one. The Bible says this, the preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord works in p- the preparation of the heart. Do you, see the, do you see this term there? The answer of the tongue? What, what does that mean? It's referring to the answer of a question. Now, specifically, the context is not about marriage, but you can apply it to marriage. When the question is asked, will you marry me? You say, how do I answer? Well, here's what the Bible says. The preparation of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You say, how can I set myself up for a good marriage? Here's how. Prepare. Prepare for marriage. See, marriage, I often tell young people this, the people I do premarital counseling with. Marriage is like a marathon. Marathon. It's a lifelong marathon. But here's the thing about a physical marathon. Is that the way that you win a marathon is not by promises, it's by preparation. You say, you know, if if I told you tomorrow I'm going to go run a marathon. Now, what's a marathon? 26 miles or something like that? Tomorrow I'm going to go run a marathon. Look, I could stand up here. I could make promises. I promise I'm going to run a marathon. I promise I'm going to finish the marathon. I I promise I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit for better or worse, and richer or poorer, till death do me part. I'm going to run this marathon. I'm going to win this marathon. I do, I do, I do. I can make all those promises. And here's the thing. I can be genuine about those promises. But if I have not taken the time to prepare to run a marathon, I am not going to run that marathon. Do you understand me? If I spent the last five weeks drinking sodas and eating chips and I stand at an altar and bring all my friends and family and I say, I promise I'm going to run this marathon. If I have not prepared to run that marathon, it doesn't matter how genuine, it doesn't matter how much I actually believed it, how much I loved it. And let me tell you something, 60% of marriages end in divorce and I believe that most of those people do not stand in an altar and make promises thinking that they're not going to commit them, that they're going to quit on them, that they're going to fail. Why did they fail? Not because they failed to make a promise, because they failed to prepare now I'm all for the promises I'm all for the vows but you know what's more important than the day you make a promise is the time you spend preparing to run the marathon of marriage so prepare because you know what young people do they make it all about the wedding day it's all about the way they spend more time picking colors than they do trying to prepare themselves for this marathon called marriage The preparation is more important than the promise. I'm all for the promise. You need the promise. But you will never keep the promise if you don't prepare. So the preparation of the heart and man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You say, I'm a single young person. I'd like to get married someday. I hope you do get married. I hope you lived happily ever after. But it won't happen without you preparing. Working at it. Doing some of the things we've talked about. Because at the end of the day, the answer is from the Lord. Just bow our head to that word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these principles from Scripture. Lord, I pray you'd help our young people to learn them. I pray you'd help our young people to internalize them. I pray you'd help the married couples here. Maybe there's some things they've got to work on, Lord. Help them, help them start working on it. They need some urgency. They're already married. Lord, I pray you'd give us some strong marriages, some strong families here at Verity Baptist Church. Help us to raise godly seed for your glory. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.